Welcome to Dynasty Theory, your source for everything Dynasty fantasy football, with your host, John Bauer. I'm looking to sell everybody price dependent. Dan LaMagna. Too much dysfunction in Cleveland. And Mitch Sorensen. Well, it's hard to compete with excellence. Welcome back to another live episode of Dynasty Theory, a proud member of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast Network. It's always a tongue twister for me. I'm your host, John Bauer. You can find me on Twitter at The Bauer Club. Unfortunately, Mitch will not be joining us. He will be with us tomorrow night during our live draft show extravaganza on YouTube from 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time until the first round's over. But joining me tonight is Dan Lamagna, and that's at FF Coach Dan on Twitter. What's going on, Dan? Buddy, super stoked for tonight's show. We got a really special guest. You know, you and our listeners, they all know I'm a diehard Cowboys fan, but growing up, man, did I love watching John Elway and those 90s Broncos, you know, with Jackson Johnson and Natiel at wide receiver. So I know tonight's guest has a great history of covering the Broncos, and uh, I can't wait. Before we introduce this week's guest, and we have another great one lined up, I want to remind everybody that Mother's Day is right around the corner. Do not get stuck getting your mom or wife the same old flowers in a card. Instead, check out myfrontpagestory.com. You'll have the chance to sit down and talk to an actual reporter who will write a fantastic story about your mom or wife, and it will look like it's from a newspaper. Plus, you don't have to leave the house for this gift, which is always a plus with everything that's going on. Again, that's myfrontpagestory.com, and use code THEORY20 to get 20% off. Well, we're not going to waste any time. Let's get into it. So just like Dan said, we have a fantastic guest lined up tonight. We are joined by the panelist with the most career wins. And Woody, I don't want to say it, but I read you have the most career losses in the history of ESPN's Around the Horn. You also write for the Gazette, and that's Woody Page, and it's at Woody Page on Twitter. Woody, what's going on, man? It's it's good to be with you guys. Uh, it's good to be with, to talk to anybody. I mean, I've been in this place for like 45 days. This is actually my home and, and I self quarantined We we haven't been doing around the horn. We're just now going back on TV. They sent somebody out here to, uh, from ESPN to actually build a studio in my, uh, office. Uh, it's been yeah, not to go offline, but it's, it, it's been difficult for ESPN to pull everything together as you know, doing a podcast to, to pull a podcast together on a regular basis, but ESPN with all its programming about sports. And so they tried to get uh, both pardon interruption that I think people watch you listen to your program or watch your podcast and around the horn back up. We've been doing around the home and I've been <laughs> doing that out of my home. And I have only been out for about 30 minutes in the last 45 days because I'm a poster child for the coronavirus. I'm in my seventies. I'm a diabetic. And, uh, my daughter comes over here and drops stuff at my doorstep. <laughs> so, so what are you doing to kill time? You said you've been there for 45 days. You haven't left the house much. What are you doing to kill time during isolation when you're not doing around the horn slash hem? Uh, I'm working on a, I put out a book of the quotes on around the horn a few years ago and I donated, I lost my mother and my sister to cancer and my dad was a diabetic and he died from the complications. So I donate all the proceeds because people go, well, how do I see these quotes that are on your blackboard? And I'm not trying to do a promo here, but, uh, one of the things I've been doing is, uh, writing the second edition of that because it's, it's, it's done extremely well on Amazon and in Barnes and Noble. So my associate and I, uh, she actually writes on the blackboard. I write all the blackboards. Uh, she and I have been compiling those. I'm, I'm writing uh, 
a book of memoirs. Uh, it's not an autobiography. It's just stories, and it's called. And I, I apologize, but I'll, I'll, the title of the book is "I Wouldn't Believe the Shit Either," and it's uh, stories <laughs> that have happened to me in my life. And 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 I've been doing a lot of reading. Uh, I watched Ozark, which is 35 hours. I'll never be able to get back in my life. And uh, I hope uh, I, people were saying to me on social media you got to watch ozark so i watched the three seasons and i hope uh, that when they go into four season they kill everybody on the show <laughs> so my wife we've been talking about watching ozark you don't recommend it then right oh i think it's one of the most popular shows on netflix uh, along with that tiger king or whatever it is which I turned on. I thought it was a documentary, a 10-part documentary on Tiger Woods, like the uh, Michael Jordan one. Uh, I've been writing today. What do I do? I write columns, and uh, I, I'm writing five actual columns. I have a website, Woody Page Tucker, and I'm writing a five-part series on Michael Jordan, and it's called Michael and Me, and I have this really weird kind of close relationship with him that dates back to going to watch him play baseball in Birmingham and playing blackjack alongside him and Monte Carlo when the dream team was over there. And, and uh, I'm sure you'll remember, and, and I, you have questions and I'll shut up here in a second, but no, keep, keep uh, going, keep going. The most famous game maybe that Michael ever played in the pros was when he got sick, had the flu against the jazz and ended up, scoring 48 points and wasn't even supposed to play. And I was out back of the arena in Salt Lake City sitting on a picnic table with the employees. That's that's where their break spot was. About two hours before the game, I was just bored waiting on the game to start. And, and the cab pulled up and Michael got out. And he said, hello, because we'd known each other for, for years. And I said, how are you feeling? And he said, not so good. And he went around the corner and threw up. <laughs> and I could oh, hear man. him vomiting. And he came back and I said, you can't play. You know, he's wiping the vomit off his face. And I said, you really can't play. He went out and they got behind by 16 points in the first quarter and came back and he scored 17. He just called on all his reserve of strength and passion and everything else. Scored 17 in the second quarter, just took off in the game and ended up hitting the three-pointer that uh, gave him the lead at the very end. And wow. it's considered one of the greatest games in in Michael Jordan's career, but I think I saw the best moment in his career, and that was <laughs> at North Carolina in the Superdome, and he beat Georgetown with a jump shot, and that's the first time anybody had ever heard of Michael Jordan. So I'm writing about uh, our strange kind of friendship, and when we see each other, we we at a golf tournament, charity golf tournament, you know that one they play that's NFL players, and Curry plays in it, yep. and actors in Lake Tahoe. And I go over and play in that occasionally or just show up. And, and I always see Michael and he always invites me in. And that's how I met his his uh, his his wife that he married not long ago. Anyway, good guy. Outstanding. So I've had a lot of great stories in my life that are just kind of uh, unusual. I mean, meeting Fidel Castro in, in Cuba. And he told me that the... Uh, uh, that the Gulf War was starting that night, and I grew up with Elvis, and that's kind of a funny bunch of stories. But anyway, I'm sure you want to talk about <laughs> Love it. And, and we have a few things we want to get to, but I, I, we could listen to you all night. And it's funny because you talk about Michael Jordan's flu game where he threw up. 
that sounds a lot like Dan over here before every podcast. He throws up, he gets <laughs> everything out of his system, and he just kills it when he comes on. You got you got to be a gamer, you know. But I love those stories, Woody. That was great. Yeah, I've heard uh, football players will tell me that uh, you know they throw up before every game, but in this case, it was because it, it was learned later that Michael Jordan had ordered a pizza for his room the night before. And five guys brought it because they all wanted to meet Michael Jordan when they found out he wanted the delivery. And uh, he got sick after that. And, and it turned out he probably had food poisoning, but it was called the great flu game. But uh, he believes that he had uh, food poisoning from the pizza. And he wasn't supposed to play. But in uh, the series, I think, was tied 2-2 there at that point. But that was – and so that's, you know, the last dance kind of stuff that uh, ESPN's doing that 10 part series funny funny story about that real quick is that uh, they were going to show this uh, 10 part series during the NBA finals well without you know, the NBA finals possibly everybody at ESPN would say move it up move it up you know have it on now and so they did and they've shown the first two last Sunday night and the next two the director says they're not finished with it. <laughs> they've got, they don't have the last four finished. So they've got like three weeks to finish the last four of these 10 part uh, series shows. And that's kind of funny. If they can't get it finished, then it's going to be a longer break and you'll know the story. <laughs> they better hurry up with that then. So, you know, before we get into the football content throughout the show tonight, I threw a few fun questions in there in the first one. So you're on around the horn. Let's say that you're thrown into a fatal four-way steel cage match with Tim Kalashaw, Kevin Blackstone, and Bill Plaschke. Who makes it out of there as the winner? Me. I was expecting uh, that answer. I, I grew up as a wrestling fan, so I'm the only one out of the four that really would have all of the techniques and inside information and, and I, I'd have a foreign object in my shorts and <laughs> I, that was that was a great period of my life where I actually uh, got to know a lot of the wrestlers in the old NWA which was uh, based out of Minnesota and uh, the the Bobby the Brain Heenans of oh, the yeah. world yep. and I would hang out with those guys and it was the uh, Andre the giant and uh and um who was the guy that's terrible uh randy poffo who oh uh, uh macho man macho man was a catcher in the cardinals organization and his, his brother actually made it to the major leagues their father was a catcher in the 50s and i got to know uh randy and if you remember him he did the uh one of the beef jerky commercials and he oh uh, snap into a slim jim oh yeah and he did and he did that uh, interview always oh yeah and then when you talk to him he had like a normal voice and he was married to a lady named elizabeth and she was kind of his agent in the corner of the ring and just getting around those guys bobby i'll tell you a one minute story about bobby the brain he was a great tag team wrestler and then was a commentator for wwe for years and years and Bobby and I were going to dinner after a wrestling match one night and in Denver uh, and he got thrown out of the ring and that was part of the, the show and a guy 
picked up a, a aluminum chair, one of the fans, and smacked him across the forehead and just opened up his forehead. And he started bleeding. And he had to make the most of it, so he, he spread the blood all around. And he was dizzy and had a concussion. And so they ended the match pretty quickly. He got tagged out. And so I went into the locker room. And the good guys and the bad guys would share the same locker room. I, I, I don't know whether wrestling fans know that or not. Well, they brought the guy in, the fan who had hit him in the forehead, and stand, stood him up against the wall, concrete wall and handcuffed him. And Bobby went over and said, don't you realize this is a show? <laughs> well, what are you doing hitting me? And he turned to me and he said, I've never been hurt that bad in the ring. And he turned to the guy and the guy, uh, the guy yelled something at him. So he cocked his fist and was going to hit the guy in the face. And the guy moved and he hit the concrete wall and broke his hand. Wow. <laughs> so now he's bleeding from the forehead. He's broken his hand. And he said, get this guy away from me before I kill myself. And so Bobby turned to me and he said, I think we're going to go have to go to dinner another night. I got to go to the hospital. And he said, I've never been hurt this bad. So I, I just really enjoyed being around professional wrestlers. That's impressive. Right, so when, when I read the show notes tonight, I, I had no clue where John was going with this question. I said, JB, this is all you. But boy, that, that was a good one, Woody. Yeah, I could come <laughs> off the top rope. Uh, you know, Plasky's a weakling. Uh, Blackstone would be the toughest guy. Kevin was next to me in Las Vegas for a fight. And he said to me, and I just quoted it the other day. He said to me, did I just see what I think I saw? And I said, yes, you saw Tyson bite Holyfield's <laughs> ear off. That was one of the last pay-per-view boxing fights I ever got. That was what, like 96, 97, somewhere on there. Yeah. And, uh, we're sitting there both stunned. We're, like in the front row and we could see the the ear on the mat with the blood all over it and so the next round started and i'm thinking they got to stop this fight i mean i've never seen anything like that the ear bitten off and i'll be damned if if tyson didn't bite his other ear <laughs> <At that point. laughs> and and they picked they were picking the pieces off the mat and they they were able to get one of them the second one back it was it needed some stitches, but the first one he never did get the uh, Holyfield never got the entire year back together again. I love so, the boxing stories here, Woody. You take me back. My dad and I, huge flight fans. Uh, we had a friend who trained in Lennox Lewis's camp for a while there, and he was getting ready to. It was the night of the champions, I believe, at Madison Square Garden, and Lennox Lewis was on the card. Holyfield was on the card. I think another big heavyweight. And we got to know Lennox's trainer, Shadow. And he says, hey, we could all go out to the All-Star Cafe after the fight. So we go to the All-Star Cafe. We're excited and, you know, hopefully be with Lennox. His trainer's just not answering the phone, not answering the phone. We thought we were done. We get ready to walk out, and then in comes Lennox with his whole entourage, all the ladies in the fur coats. And we said, Lennox, we're looking for Shadow. He goes, come on with me. And he went right up in the elevator with Lennox in his entourage and got to eat some nice wings with Lennox and Holyfield and had a beautiful night. So. Love the boxing stories. Yeah, it's unfortunate what happened uh, in watching the Ali Frazier fight fights uh, last weekend. I was at the second one. I was not at the first one, and I didn't go to uh, the Philippines for the Thriller in Manila. But that second fight, second fight was probably the best thing I've ever seen. And I saw Ali at the end when he fought his former sparring partner, Larry Holmes, who had a good run. 
and it, it was just sad to see, but he was so, we were in a suite that he had in Las Vegas, and he talked the next morning for about three hours, and it was one of the most interesting conversations, because he knew it was over. I, I covered a fight at the Astrodome, uh, I think that was Larry Holmes and Tex Cobb, do you remember a guy named Tex Cobb? Yes, sir, yes, sir, Randall Tex yeah, Randall Texas Cup. Mm -hmm. And that's the fight that Howard Cosell did that was, I I'm sure it was pay-per-view. And Cosell said he was never going to do another fight because Cobb just, it was like Cobb had been beaten by a bank vault. And he was so bloody. But afterward, he sat in the, in the, in the uh, dressing room and talked to three or four of us. And, and the fight people were you know, an interesting breed. Wrestling is in its own way a great group of people, the wrestlers, but the fighters, not today's fighters, but the fighters of that period that when your dad and you went, because my dad used to take me to St. Louis Cardinals games. And that was, I'm sure this experience was great for you because that was the best time of my life. Nothing I've ever done, nobody I've ever met was as good as my dad and I on a six hour train ride to St. Louis uh, on weekends to go watch the Cardinals play. And I think, uh, that goes back to Field of Dreams. You know, he wanted to see his father and play catch with his father. And that whole movie, you guys, you've seen Field of Dreams. I don't think any guy can see the Field of Dreams and, and not have a have an emotional reaction because of experiences with your own dad. And that moment at the end of the movie where he says, uh, you know, you want to play catch or whatever, it was something of that order. That was... Uh, I had my daughter with me and I just started bawling because that's, I wanted my dad back to be able to play, play, play catch with him or go to a fight like you did or go to a baseball game. And most, that that's an experience I'll never get again. Most my certainly dad, Woody. My dad died thinking, uh, as he once told me, I couldn't find my butt with both hands. And so, <laughs> uh, I, would, would I hope that he's somewhere where he can look down and say, you know, you didn't turn out to be so worthless. I mean, maybe I am, but. Now, I'm sure he's proud of you, man. I mean, we got some similar, uh, you know, traits here that I never even knew about. And you know, I lost my dad to cancer as well. And we were great boxing fans. And, and John and I here are both from Pennsylvania. So we have the Poconos here in PA where Larry Holmes, Muhammad Ali trained a lot of years. I was throwing yeah. on Ali's lap as a young child and. Larry Holmes and we, we might be able to start a boxing podcast now John we're gonna have to talk after the show I'll yeah. just be the host because I I don't know a lick about boxing look at me like I'm not gonna throw a punch but Woody I, I don't know if you can see the comments we got a comment from one listener that said they are absolutely loving this like we we strictly we talk about fantasy football but you have a mind like Woody Page who has seen it all and you're talking about Bobby the Brain Heenan, Larry Holmes, you know, these are things that our listeners, they don't get to hear. So uh, we appreciate it. And I will say I grew up a huge WWF fan, now WWE. Bobby the Brain Heenan, he may have been the best heel of all time. He was fantastic. Well, people have heard me tell the story. Uh, and actually, uh, somebody wrote me about it today that... Uh, You'll remember another wrestler, maybe I shouldn't come down on him, but he wore skirts and he was from Ireland. And we're going out to dinner after a wrestling match one night and we're walking down and I said, you know, what are you going to do when this is over with? And he said, uh, he said, that's funny you bring that up. I was in the mountains, Breckenridge here in Colorado earlier today and I'm looking into buying a condominium complex. 
He said, my daughter uh, does uh, raft tours in Hawaii and I want to spend time over there. And he's telling me about what he's going to do when he retires. And a kid walks up who's about seven or eight years old and he holds up a piece of paper and a pen. And he says, uh, could I have an autograph, please? Could I have an autograph? And so I said, uh, wait a second, Woody. And he turns to the kid and he spits in his face. And he wads up the paper and the pen and he throws it away. And the kid walked away crying. And I said, what are you doing? What are you doing? The kid comes and asks you for an autograph. He said, so anyway, this condo complex. I said, no, no, no. Wow. He just spit on a kid. He said, if I had given him an autograph, I swear on my daughter's life, true story. He said, if I had given him an autograph, he'd have lost it tomorrow. He said, when he's 40 years old, he'll remember the night that I spit on him. <laughs> so he was playing his bad guy role, you know, the heel role. Yep. And, and he told me, it was, it was a funny story. He said, when he first got into wrestling, that they put him on a match, uh, put him at a match. Uh, and he was the first guy out, you know, the preliminary match. And he said, I'm a good guy. You know, he played college ball at Oklahoma. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm a good guy and I'm fighting heel and I'm a baby face. That's what they called it. And he said, and I lost the match. And so I'm in the back smoking a cigarette and I thought I did a pretty good job. And a promoter comes over to me and said, the headliner didn't show up. So you got to go back out and do the headline tonight. And he said, okay, great, great. He thought that'd be great. Well, he went out. He had been cheered the first time out. This time he's booed because he's wrestling a good guy. So now he's got to be the heel. And he said, how do you be the baby face in one match and then you're the heel in the last match? And then people booed him and threw stuff at him. And he went, well, I guess this is the way it's going to be my whole career. So it's like Bobby the Brain. You know, he was a good guy for a little while, but basically he was a bad guy for most all of his career, and he loved being the bad guy. Uh, I would just add, we talked about boxing and wrestling, UFC. And so that's become, as both of you know, that's become bigger than boxing and probably bigger than wrestling, if you will, in a, in a lot of cases. And the first uh, UFC, because if you watch the pay-per-views, it's like two, UFC 287 now, you know, or 354. <clears throat> The first one, UFC 1, was in Denver, Colorado, and the promoter was a good friend of mine. And he said, uh, let's go to the match. And I went, I don't even know what UFC is. Well, mixed martial arts, it's big in Brazil. And, and the champions were all from South America. And it was just coming to the United States. And so we went to what is the uh, what I call the can. It's named after a soda pop. And we sat in the front row just outside the, the netting. And the first guy just got the fool beat out of him, big fat guy, and the blood just spurted all over us. And I had a beer, and the beer, and the blood went in the beer and everything. And I said to my, <laughs> my friend Barry, I said, This is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. This is disgusting. It's like being in an alley somewhere. And he went, Oh, it's going to get worse as we get to the better fighters. And it was the worst night I've ever seen, I swear. It was, it was disgusting because they had no rules in. I mean, now they have, you know, judging and something. There it was just, you know, beat the fool out of somebody. And they brought in uh, this family from Brazil. Anyway, the end of the story is so I wrote a column the next day saying that was the most brutal, disgusting, awful, terrifying thing and i guess that people who like that would find it beautiful that it was beautiful sort of mixed martial arts well a player for the rockies 
a shortstop named Walt Weiss. You've both heard of him. He's been a manager and he's a bench coach for the Atlanta Braves. He was a big UFC fan. And he came to me one day at, 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 before game and he said, I didn't know you were a big UFC fan. And I said, I'm not. That's the worst thing I've ever seen. And he said, well, that can't be true. He takes me over to his locker and he's got a DVD from UFC one. And it says on the cover, Woody Page of the Denver Post calls this beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) And it said, bloody, beautiful. That's (laughs) great. And so they, they misquoted. I mean, they just, you know, cut the quotes out. And so I'm immortalized in UFC <laughs> for that, for that cover. Like movies, when you when you see the people go to a, 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 to a movie and they say, this is terrible. And then the next line will say, terrifying. And people will put that uh, on, on the, uh, the, the movie trailer. So yeah, that's the story of my life. I'm sure you get misquoted every once in a while, but you know, I don't want to keep you all night. So we're going to skip through a few questions. You're very well known for covering the Denver Broncos. Now, Dan and I, we disagree on this player, but I want to get your thoughts because you are so close to them. Is Drew Locke the Broncos quarterback of the future? Because we know that Elway, he got it wrong a few times in the past. Ever since Peyton Manning, you know, he likes his big quarterbacks. Is Drew Locke the quarterback of the future? Well, just to correct you, talking about misquoting uh, a few times, they've gone through like nine quarterbacks. Since <laughs> John was being kind. I, I, I was trying to be, I was being generous here. I could probably go through them, but we, we won't do it at the same time. Is he the quarterback of the future? I like his attitude. He's got, he's got one of those. Uh, and I thought Tebow had this, that there's an if factor among quarterbacks. And you know what I'm talking about. When you, when you go into a room, you you could look around the room and you go that guy's the quarterback, and if you think about it, if you'd see Brett Favre, you'd know he's a quarterback. Tom Brady, uh, Peyton Manning, uh, John Elway, uh, Marino, and he has that it factor where he he looks and acts like a quarterback. I think he's done a smart, uh, made a smart de- 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 decision to reach out to Peyton Manning and meet with him and talk to him about playing the position. And so Peyton's kind of adopted him. Uh, he's doing that somewhat with Joe Burrow. Uh, so is he the great quarterback of the future? No, he's going to be a good quarterback, but he's the guy that leads him to leads them to uh, Super Bowls. Is he Roger Staubach? Is he, uh, you know, let's take uh, Roger Staubach and, and uh, uh, Dak Prescott, uh, uh, who was the quarterback named White? Uh, Danny White. Danny White. Mm-hmm. Was, was he the quarterback of the future? He was supposed to be. He was supposed to be the next great quarterback of the Cowboys. And he turned out to be a good quarterback. I think that's where uh, Locke is right now. Will he be better than that? I don't know. I, people thought Joe Flacco was going to be a great quarterback forever. He had one Super Bowl, and he's kind of gone south since that happened. So, yeah. Uh, it's it's a bit early, I think, prematurely. It's what I call, guys, and I refer to this uh, on Around the Horn. They don't particularly like it, but uh, to call him the quarterback of the future is premature evaluation. I like that. I like that. <laughs> I know where you're going with it. <laughs> That'd be accurate. It has been a small sample size, and we did talk about that in past shows, John, where you know we haven't seen enough of them. 
but he does look like a quarterback is what he's describing. And he has some swagger to him and some confidence. Yeah. And I, I think they're putting a good, putting them in a good situation too. You know, they're bringing them along. Right. Thought, yeah. Who would have thought Lamar Jackson would be as good as he became so quickly. I don't think there's anybody would have said, Oh yeah. Lamar Jackson is the next great thing in the, uh, I don't think we even said that about the Kansas City quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. You didn't say that when you saw him play three or four games. Uh, but you find out pretty quickly. It, it took a full year before I realized that, I mean, I knew John Elway could play, but his rookie season, he was he was terrible. And he almost quit the game, and there's not that much ever said about that. He was going to quit and go play Major League Baseball for the Yankees because uh, he thought he was awful. But the second year, he was a, he was a quarterback. Mahomes, we saw in one game against the Broncos at the end of the season, his rookie year. And then the second year, uh, thought, well, he could be a good quarterback. Well, four or five games in, you went, this guy's a great quarterback. And when he, if you'll remember when he threw that ball left-handed against the Broncos on a Monday night game or something yep. for a touchdown when he was being trapped, I think that, that, that one and where he was going to his right and threw back to his left, and nobody even knew where the ball was going, and it went across all the way across the field with him not even looking that direction. We all knew we saw special. we were seeing something special. I talked to Joe Namath uh, recently uh, for a podcast that I was doing, and and I'm really happy for him. He struggled with alcohol problems and and health problems the last few years, but he's pulled it together. He's living with his daughter in Florida and hanging out with his grandkids, and I, I'm really happy for him. But when I saw him play in the uh, 60s and 70s, you could tell he had it. And it wasn't just because he was Broadway Joe or he wore the white cleats, the first guy. It was because he he was a quarterback. And you think about the great quarterbacks. You know they're quarterbacks. I'm sorry, I'm taking up too much of your time. No, no, so this go, is why we brought time. you on, Woody. We want to pick your brain. You're, you're the best of the best here. So when we have questions about Denver... You're the man we want to ask. So we talk about Drew Locke. We talk about the weapons that he has. And last year was Noah Fant, Cortland Sutton. Well, recently, it's funny because when we're in our, our dynasty league, and we're in our fantasy football leagues, we have all these group chats. And somebody dropped a screenshot of one of your articles. And it was a quote from you saying that, that you had a source. And I'm not going to ask who your source is. We understand that's confidential. But that they were going to move up the Broncos, that is, for Jerry Judy. So, one, I saw a tweet from you today, and I love it because I love Justin Jefferson. But, one, do you think they should move up for Jerry Judy? And, two, do you think they actually do? Well, my feeling has been all along, I like Jefferson. Because people are saying, oh, I know you want Judy. No, I don't want Judy. I like Jefferson. I think Jefferson... Uh, remember that year that LSU produced two wide receivers and they ended up together in Cleveland? Uh, I think LSU's got uh, in Jefferson a guy like those two. I mean, maybe not OBJ, but I think he's going to be, uh, people were talking about, uh, you know, the, in, for, for Fantasy League, I think he, he, well, he had 94 catches. I think he's going to be a big catch monster uh, they've got a deep threat that they drafted two years ago. They don't need another deep threat. I mean, how many deep threats you you need? Uh, Kansas City's got one deep threat. People don't talk about this. 
you, you got to have somebody that, you know, an Emmanuel Sanders type that's younger. That's what I think they need. So if, if I were the Broncos, I would trade down to just before the Eagles because the Eagles are going to draft him. Yep. If he yep. gets to 21, the Eagles are going to draft him. So I'd trade with Minnesota. I think Minnesota's there. Jacksonville's got another pick. And I would get Jefferson and i try to get Christian Fulton, who is the cornerback out of LSU. Yeah, but I mean, do you think the Broncos do you think the Broncos take your advice or do you think they actually trade up because that's oh, the report? John Elway's never taken my advice. The year he drafted <laughs> Ron Miller, I wanted them to draft uh, Patrick Peterson. I saw that. I saw that. And they're they're both going to be Hall of Famers just like you tweeted. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're all decade team and you wouldn't have been bad with them, but Von Miller was the MVP. But to answer your question, uh yes, I had two really good sources and I have a lot of good sources. Uh, I mean, I I had Noel Font and and Drew Locke and even Dalton Reisner last year before they drafted him. And, you know, before that, I had that uh, Vic Fangio was going to be the Broncos coach. I had that even before they interviewed him. And so I've got good sources readily. And I had two good sources tell me that, that their intention was to, to trade up and get Judy because everybody had been talking about Henry Ruggs here. And they said, no, Judy's the guy. They want him. Uh, but Elway said uh, we were in a conference uh, press conference call a couple of days ago, and and I talked to him about it, and he, he also responded said, yeah, we may very well move up, we may also move back, or we may sit there. Well, you know, that's the that's the regulation kind of answer. But I, they're considering it. He didn't say no, we're not moving up, and he didn't tell me when I talked to him. He didn't say, you know, you're full of crap. Because uh, he knows, I know what I'm talking about. So since then, and that's what you may have seen today, is someone said, have you changed your mind? I, it wasn't my mind. I was just reporting what people were saying. Well, two more guys called me after that came up that are big time NFL people. And they said, you know, you're right on target there. They have been talking. But that could fall apart. That's why I said it. You know, they could do it because they'd like to do it. But if someone comes along, like, let's say, Philadelphia, and says, you know, we want uh, Judy, you know, we'll trade up to Arizona at the eighth spot and beat him out of it. So, you know, those trades are never really in place, but it, at least if you're reporting the truth, that they are talking about doing it, that they're interested. And I know that they've been talking to them and talking to Judy and even Ruggs in these uh, conference calls you can have with them, you know, the Zoom calls. Right. So, and if they want to get up to that spot... They have to pass up the Jets and the Raiders. They have to. Yeah. Oh, and the 49ers. People are talking about the 49ers trade. 13th back. overall, yep. Yeah, the 49ers want rugs. They want they want really, because I got good sources out there too. They really want Henry Ruggs, the third. And so if the Broncos here's what I've been told by best source that they, they want to trade up to eighth or ninth. Jaguars, I think, are ninth. The uh, Cardinals are eighth. Yep. Uh, get ahead of, as you said, John, get ahead of uh, the three teams, Raiders, uh, Jets are probably in the mix for wide receiver, Adam Gase, and the 49ers, uh, if they want to get ahead of them to get it, then they could get up and, and what I was told was if Judy were to go in top six or something, they do like Lamb, they like Lamb, so they, they would go in that direction, if not, then they trade back, get a Jefferson uh, at 2021 and get a pick up another draft pick, which they like to do. That's a John Elway history. 
Or the other thing is they can sit there and maybe, you know, they could they could sort of push it and get Jefferson. That's a little high, but if you like him, you get him. And so, I mean, they really need they need to give Locke a chance to become what you were asking about earlier. Yeah, and if they want C.D. Lamb, they have to pass up the Cardinals because the Cardinals like C.D. Lamb a lot, apparently. And, Dan, why don't you bring these sources in? Woody's given all this great insight. Dan, I expect more sources from you. Well, see, the challenge here with Denver is my sources are in Denver. And, Woody, I don't know if you've had a chance to talk to um, Coach Fangio and Coach Munchak. Coach Fangio is from Dunmore, PA, about 15 minutes from me, and Coach Munchak's from Scranton. Have you been able to talk to my local boys there? They played against each other. They were so close in high school. Uh, Fangio, people wondering what he's doing. Fangio's been uh, videoing his uh, meatball recipe. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. a paisan. That makes sense. So they didn't really know each other, but the, their teams played against each other in high school. They're both, you know, Philadelphia sort of guys. Uh, and that's not Philadelphia. Small towns outside there. So... I think that that's a great combination in Fangio and Munchak to have both of them who in Munchak, you know, former head coach and great, great offensive line lineman is a hall of famer. And then I'm a Steelers put, fan and he, he was our oh, offensive line coach. He's amazing. Put, yeah. Put together you know, 15 guys uh, on the offensive line at Pittsburgh over the years that were pro bowl type players. So yeah, you got a great combination. You got a guy that took a couple of years ago with Chicago had the best defense in the league. And you got Munchak who has been not only head coach, but as you said, as a Steelers fan, people know how good he was. And the only way they were able to prime away was his daughter and grandkids yep. live here. And he agreed to, to take the job uh, so he could be around his family. So that, that was good for the Broncos. Here, See, Woody, my, my sources are with Woody, John. All right, then I'll allow it. All right, Woody, before we sign off, I have two very serious questions for you, and I hope no, you're I ready. I don't like serious questions. Trust me, they're not too serious, so don't worry. I know through following you on Twitter that you like tequila, and who doesn't? So let me ask you a question. We've been living without sports for the last, what, 45 days or so. Would you rather not be able to drink tequila for the next year or no live sports for the next year? Oh, I'm going to tell you a better story than that. Uh, (laughs) Go ahead. Take Uh, it away. I'm I'm reaching in to get my tequila. (laughs) I vodka and Gatorade, so I'm not far behind you. Uh, Yeah. uh, So we did did this show around the home. I I think I was telling you about it. So Tony yesterday said to me, uh, what are you guys drinking? Uh, me and Jackie Mack and, and uh, Clinton Yates. Yep. So what are you drinking? And he said, Woody, I know you're drinking tequila. I said, I'm not drinking anymore, Tony. And he said, well, good for you. I said, well, I'm not drinking any less either. <laughs> 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 and he said, you got me. So he put out on Twitter. He said, Paige sneaked it past me. But, uh, that that was uh, That's a better story, really. <laughs> but right, so- here's the story I'm telling you. I worked with Skip Bayless. We'll end on this. I worked with Skip Bayless on cold pizza for three years, and everybody knows who Skip Bayless is. Yes, sir. And uh, so we had a question one morning. We'd have a, as we do it around a horn, and you guys do it. You do prep, and we meet and talk about what we're going to discuss. And the question that day was uh, the Goff magazine had said that 38% of men would give up sex for a year if it improved their game by four strokes. 
And they said, uh, so we want the two of you to discuss that. What do, what do you think? And I said, sure, I've given up sex for a year, a bunch of times. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, if it proved my golf game. So they said to Skip, it's a true story, said to Skip, so would you do that? And he said, I've had more sex than everybody in the room combined. <laughs> well, I wasn't what the question was. And so he had, he had to brag so, a little bit. All right. So yeah, uh, one more so question the, for you, Woody. Well, so, I just want to finish the story real quick. So we go in the air. And they asked the question, and they said, Woody, would you go? Of course I would. I've done it. No, no, no. How about you, Skip? And he said, I've had more sex than Woody. I came out from behind the table, went over, and grabbed him by the throat. We had a fight on live TV on ESPN that carried over to the door that went out onto 8th Avenue in New York City. And it was live television. So when you asked me about would I give up tequila, <laughs> yeah. no, I'd give up. Uh, I'd give up sex for a year if I had a better golf game. All right, very good, very good. <laughs> Last question before we sign off: It's the Wednesday before the draft, which it is, and you're being told that you have to quarantine for the next week with either, <laughs> either Dave Gettleman or Bill O'Brien. Who do you pick and why? Uh, neither. I don't have to. I don't have to. I don't have to do that. I don't have to open my door to either one of those. <laughs> why do? Why would I want to do be with Bill O'Brien? He trade my car for like you know two old cars. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the fantasy community, we feel the exact same way. So, uh, Woody, again, thank you so much for coming on, joining you know the dynasty theory podcast. You have a podcast coming up. I think you're kicking off in May. Tell our listeners about that. Uh, well, we're going to have some fun and, and I, I won't, I, you've got to move on. But one of the things we're going to do, we had done the podcast and we, we're going to break it down, but we're going to have uh, people who, who listen and watch the podcast actually compete on like uh, viewers around the horn and see if you could beat me. And so uh, if you beat me, you get prizes. And so the well, idea is we'll Dan have, and I uh, would gladly jump on. Well, we'll ha be happy to have, we'll have you on the first one. Uh, so the idea is we'll ask three or four questions in a 20 minute segment. And if you have, and we'll have a judge like Tony Reale kind of judge. And if you, if your answers and opinions are better than mine, you win the prizes and it, it, it will be one of my quote books and some t-shirts and swag and stuff like that. So that's part of it. We're going to have, you know, a guest that'll be better than me. And we're going to do uh, a segment where it's one of my stories, like you've heard today. So we're, we're going to have some fun like you guys do. You know, this is a great podcast. I'm, I'm I appreciate you inviting me to come on. I've always had respect for Ross and Ross and I, weren't able we were going to do a uh, a simulcast where i'd be on his podcast at the same time he'd be on my podcast so we're going to do stuff like that outstanding that's awesome and if we had more time we would just listen to your stories especially about wrestling because i love wrestling so maybe eventually we're going to have you back on if if, if you will um oh, and sure. just shoot the shit yeah i got nowhere to go uh, I, tell you, I took my I took my daughter to a wrestling match. It was Andre the Giant, Giant against uh, uh, Macho Man, and the promoter came over and I said, "This is my daughter, and this is her first wrestling match." And uh, and and I said, "So this is a big match between uh, between Andre and 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 Macho Man." He said, "Yeah, I, I expected to only go 34 seconds tonight." 
<laughs> and my daughter says 34 seconds and so the ring announcer was a good friend of mine. I got said yeah it's Andrew the guy and uh, Macho Man and uh, so they start and Macho Man gets up on the third uh, rope jumps down hits Andre in the throat knocks him over gets a three count and the ring announcer goes and in 34 seconds <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, Woody, again, we strictly focus on fantasy football, but your stories were fantastic. And the insight that you provide about the Broncos specifically and what they're going to do with that 15th overall pick is Drew Locke, the guy, you know, Cortland Sutton, Noah Fan. the, the insight you provide was absolutely fantastic. So uh, we're going to sign off here, but I want you to stick around just for a minute. You know, all the listeners, thank you for tuning in. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dynasty Theory FF. And make sure you subscribe to the YouTube. Oh my goodness! Subscribe to the YouTube channel Dynasty Theory for tomorrow night's live draft show special. Have a great night.